Would you take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 17? We are going to study and hear the words of the one who has washed us. The good news of, comes from the mouth of our Savior. And we are looking this morning at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. I want to read the passage as you're getting settled and then just open our time in prayer. Just follow along as I read. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. They will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this, by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage till the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And Likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the privilege we have to be under and in your word. I pray, God, that your spirit would open our eyes, illuminate this truth, that we might see it and be forever changed. In Christ's name, amen. When I was a sophomore in high school, I, got, I spent about that school year obsessed with Bible prophecy. Our church a few years earlier when I was a kid had shown that movie Thief in the Night, which scared the daylights out of me. And, uh, and if you don't know that movie, it's a 70s movie, and it was just scary, you know, and it just... I was terrified and got me kind of thinking about Bible prophecy. And the next thing you know, you know, because computers started coming out and all these different things started happening. Bible prophecy people got all ramped up and I got all caught up in, in it. And I used to call this thing called the Bible prophecy hotline every day. I dial this thing and it would say, here's what happened today. And then here's what it means to Bible prophecy. And every day at 7 o'clock at night, they'd update the Bible prophecy thing. 
And I'd, 7 o'clock, I'd call in. I'd hear the little recorded message of what was going on. It just obsessed me for about that school year. It did last long because actually I got a little afraid after a while. It started kind of taking over, and I started thinking about everything ending and, and then, you know, got concerned. All kinds of things were happening. I, was, I went on a bike ride with my mom. We were taking a bike ride, and then uh, she decided to try to t- uh, beat me. I was ahead of her, and she went over on this other street and uh, to kind of come around and meet me and like she was going to beat me. And I turned around, and she was gone. <laughs> you know what that means. <laughs> I've been left behind. Like, seriously, it freaked me out, you know. All kinds of things happened. I had to get out of that. It was like it took over. Now, the thing about that, when you get caught up in that kind of being left behind kind of stuff and, 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 and letting it take over, it, it turns your attention away from things that are really important. I'm not suggesting the return of Christ isn't important. We're going to see in this passage it is very important to understand. But it's important that we understand it the right way. About 10 years after this, incident i was at a pastor's conference i was a student ministries guy and there was a famous pastor that was doing a luncheon thing a theologian pastor guy and he was taking questions from the uh from different pastors and somebody was talking about prophecy and he made a statement he said you know what there are two temptations that every pastor is going to face in his pulpit ministry one temptation is to be led down the road of politics and the other temptation is to be led down the road of eschatology or, or, or end times And those two things can take you over and take you down in two bad ways. Because one way starts getting you loving the kingdom of this world, and the other way starts getting you disengaging from the mission of this world. And and it can take over your life, and it can make you start to love this world. It can make you start to, 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 to disengage from this world. It can make you start to get caught up with loving and searching out the Antichrist more than the real Christ. And so the focus of life is to say, okay, how do we understand these things then? What role do they play? How do I keep my eye on the ball and understand the kingdom of God and the return of the king? And how do I let those things govern my heart and my life correctly in a way that keeps me loving Christ and engaged as a Christian in this world? That's really one of the great things about this passage we're studying here today. As we've been studying through Luke, if this is your first Sunday here, we've been engaged in a study of the Gospel of Luke, and we've left off here at verse 20, and and there's a question that is asked of Jesus that prompts him to explain something about the kingdom of God and then explain to his disciples about his return. Then his disciples have a question they want to know about it. And really what this focus of this section is is on the kingdom of God and the return of the king. And so we're going to see this today. Now what I've done is I've kind of taken this, this uh, passage and just divided it up for us. There's really two points that are made here. And they're centered around two questions that are asked. First is by some Pharisees. When will the kingdom of God come? When is it going to come? Second question, where will Jesus return? That's the question the disciples ask. And we're going to look at these two questions. We'll unpack them today. And in this passage here, there's both a challenge and a blessing. The challenge is this. The challenge is, do I live for Christ and his kingdom? There's the challenge. What do I live for? 
And the blessing that is in this passage is the fact that Christ is the king. And that's good news. That's good news. And so I want you to see this here so that our life can be balanced, that we can walk through with a right understanding of the kingdom, the coming kingdom, and the coming king. So let's look at this together. Let's look at this first question. When will the kingdom come is really answering a question. What, do I, what am I supposed to look for in life? Look at verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a second. So Luke is bringing us through this journey, and he says, okay, he's just healed these ten lepers. He's in this village. Some Pharisees come up, and they ask a question. Here's the question. When will the kingdom of God come? So we need to just stop and, and, and just say, what, what does that question mean? Okay, these are Pharisees, which means they live for the law of God. They have rejected life in the temple. They don't, they don't, they don't actually go to the temple. They feel that the temple is, is pagan because Herod helped construct it. And Herod was not, he was half Gentile. So they saw the temple as defiled. So they worshiped in the synagogue, which were those little worship centers all throughout the area. And, and they focused on the first five books of Moses and the law of God, and they came up with extra laws to make sure you're following the law and all of these kind of things. And so they just continued to focus on the law and, and teaching of the law. So now when, what they're doing is, is they're asking a question that is not too far off of a question. It's the same question as the disciples asked and asked in Acts 1.6 when they said, is it now that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Right? Their, their focus is they're saying, when does the law of God reign in Israel? When do we get our nation back so that we can see everybody following the Bible, if we want to put it in our terms? It's the rule book, and, and, and Israel is established again. When will this kingdom come in this way? Right? That's their focus. Right? They want to see the law of God rule. They want to see the law of God reign. They want to see the kingdom come and Israel established as a superpower under the authority of God, where the rule of God is, is the way. You could say it this way, you know, when do we get the time of David back? Our glorious kingdom. When is it coming? Because, you see, we're living in this pagan land, and we're not able to follow our laws the way we want to do, and the temple's defiled, and everything's just wrong, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and culture's going down, and everything's... When do we get the kingdom back, right? Good question. So now... Let's look at how Jesus answers the question. He answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So you're looking for Israel to come up and Romans to be kicked out and you're looking for a law to be established and you want to know when is this going to happen? And Jesus says, there is a coming kingdom. There is a kingdom that's going to come. But it's not really going to come in this way where suddenly you're going to see whole political revolutions going on and nations being turned over. It's not coming that way. When God promised the coming kingdom, it's going to come in a way where you actually aren't going to observe it in that way. So you're not going to see a Messiah riding in with the horses taking over Israel and establishing God's law that way. That's, not, that's not how you're going to see it. 
He says, notice, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. A couple ways you could translate that. You could say that it be translated within you, the old King James. If you have a King James, that's what you have. The kingdom of God is within you. ESV has in the midst of you. It could be either one. Basically what he's saying is it's, it's right here. It's right here. It's something that's actually going to take over your life. It's, it's, it's not going to take over a, constant, a political constitution. It's actually going to take over your life. And it's here right now. It's come. Now, that is a profound point. A very profound point. For people who are looking for a political revolution, for, for society to get better, for, for laws to be passed that will be righteous and holy, and for leaders to be good leaders and, and all this kind of stuff, for those who have their eyes on that, Jesus is saying, well, that's actually not what's going to happen. What's actually going to happen is it's coming and it's here already. It's right here. Now, what we have to catch is what exactly does that mean? So, so I want to just take a moment and unpack it. It's a bit, bit of a ethereal point, but I want to unpack it, and I want to do it by, by just allowing the Scripture to interpret this for us. So just in Colossians chapter 1, there's a passage that will give us some insight to what this means. Let's look at Colossians 1. It should be on the screen behind me here. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now look at the words that are here. He says, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. A synonym for the word domain is kingdom. Realm. So, so when Paul is describing a person who's not in Christ, describing our life before we are in Christ, he didn't just say you had a problem with sinning. Like you were basically a good person, but every once in a while you get angry and you would sin. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say sin is just bad things that you do. He said you were actually in a whole realm of sin. Ephesians 2.1 says you were following after Satan. You had driven by the lust of your own heart. You hated God and his wrath was prepared to be poured out on your head. You were in this really bad place. You were in the kingdom of darkness and you couldn't get yourself out. Then he says... But you were transferred. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You were picked up out of this kingdom. You were placed into another kingdom. But notice that what it doesn't say. Notice that it doesn't say, and you were transferred to the kingdom of light. If you want to remain poetic, that's what you would have said, right? You were in the kingdom of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of light. But he doesn't say that. He says the kingdom of his beloved son. We are brought out of darkness and we are placed into Christ. When you think about being saved, you don't think about being saved like, I am now going to heaven. You have to think about it. I was in sin and now I'm in Christ. I know we're still in the ethereal world. All, those that, the, all the views that fly at 35,000 feet, you're loving this. The detail people are saying, get to the point. Okay, but i got to stay up a little high for a minute here. Okay, 
So, so this is why the Great Commission says, make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe everything I've told you. He isn't saying make converts. I want to go out and say, okay, Matt, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Okay, repeat after me. You're going, okay, re- you've repeated it? Great, now you're going to heaven. No. I want to say, Matt, you're in the domain of darkness, but guess what, brother? You can be in Jesus. And he can be everything to you. He can be your whole world, your whole life. And if you live for him and love him and follow him and are consumed with him, guess what? The kingdom's in you. You'll make an impact in this world. That's what Jesus is saying. See, we're in Christ. That's the good news. That's the whole mission. So here's what this means. Jesus is saying, guys, you're asking about the coming of the kingdom. you got to look at me. Now, here's what we know about Jesus. There's, 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 there's about four things we know about Jesus. Number one, he is the king of the kingdom. That's what Psalm 2 tells us. He's the king of it. He rules it. The father says he's going to put his own king over the, over the thrones. He's going to rule it. Ephesians 1.10 tells us he's the substance of the kingdom, meaning that God the Father is going to take everybody and bring them into Jesus so they would be part of his life. Jesus said, when Lazarus had died, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I possess life. He's the life of the kingdom. And these Pharisees want to know, when will the law of God rule and reign in Israel? When Christ changes your heart, guess what? He gives you the ability to fulfill the law. He's the fulfillment of the rule, the kingdom of God. That's who Jesus is. So what's the focal point here? Sometimes we can, we can look at the coming of the kingdom of God in political spheres, and we could say, Oh my, the kingdom of God is not advancing because look what's going on. Look at this law that was passed. We could be like the Pharisees. Look at this moment that happened in the world, in politics, in this. The kingdom of God is losing because this happened here. And Jesus says the kingdom of God has won. It's here. It's in you. It changes you. You get to obey the law. You get to live out his life. You get to be in him. Guys, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're wanting a rule in Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, and I'm telling you, it's right here. And if you would come to me, you'd be connected to the very kingdom of God. So, this first question, when is this kingdom of God going to come? It's here. And the obsession of our life should always be Christ, right? That's where our obsession should be. Because in Christ, his rule, his reign, his life, everything can fill us up. And you can walk in his rule, you can walk in his reign, you can fulfill the law, all that power you have access to. If Christ is the obsession. I know in my life, when I had my little obsession there, the one thing I was not doing was pursuing Christ. I was reading the newspaper. I was watching TV. I was trying to connect dots from some obscure passage in Revelation to some event that happened in 
the Dominican Republic, seriously. I mean, I was making journeys all over the place. But what I missed was Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm here. I've come. The king is here. The rule's here. The substance of the kingdom is here. The ability to obey the law is here. It's all here in me. So the focus has to be Christ. Now, here's what Jesus does. Takes this, now, this conversation with the Pharisees, because it ends right there, and he turns it to his disciples. He's going to give his disciples some instructions. So let's look at how he turns. And the focus here deals with the coming of the king, the second coming. So basically we have this picture. Jesus said, I've come and I've brought the kingdom. But we know something. We know that he ascended into heaven. Then he says, I'm going to come back for you. And, 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 and now, how do we understand, now that we get to be connected to the very kingdom of God through Jesus, we know one thing. He's going to come back and some things are going to happen. So what's going to happen when he comes back? And, and how should this, what should the focus be of the person who believes this message about the kingdom. So Jesus now is talking to his disciples. These Pharisees probably rejected Jesus at this point. So now he's going to talk to those who believe Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he's going to prepare them for his return. And this is kind of a survival guise to handling all the last day's stuff that you'll, you get exposed to in this world. It will help you navigate this. So notice what he says in 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Okay, so the focus here is the disciples. See that? So I'm picturing this going on, discussion of the kingdom, and then he says, all right, boys, let's talk. A day's coming when you're going to want to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Now, you've got to say, what in the world is one of the days of the Son of Man? He's talking about something very specific. He's referring probably to Daniel chapter 7. This is where the prophecy of the Son of Man is. I want to read to you Daniel 7, 13 and 14, and then we'll tie it into this verse. Daniel sees this vision in, in Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel sees this vision of this Son of Man being presented to God the Father. And when, this, this, when he comes, he's basically, well, if you want to summarize this, these verses, what does he see? He's going to come over and take over the world. And no one will be able to not serve him. He will take over the world. That's the vision. Now that vision, I'm certain, is what was driving the Pharisees. That's what they wanted. When are you coming to take over the world? And Jesus says, you don't understand. The first reality of this is that I'm coming to bring the kingdom here in the midst of you. But it is true that I will come back and take over the world. It is true. But he's only going to tell the disciples this. Why not tell the Pharisees this? Because they need to first believe and trust that he is the king, that the kingdom's in him. And, and they don't. But these guys do. 
So he says, now listen, yeah, this day is coming. And now look back at what Jesus said. He said, it's going to come this time when you're going to long for this. Now we know what Jesus means, right? Because he ascends into heaven. Their life gets significantly worse. It's better in him and worse in the culture, right? They're getting arrested. They're getting beaten up. They're getting martyred. And you can imagine, I mean, you know, we only read little bits of stories like, you know, this apostle was killed. But what would it be like at that moment when you knew that you had just gotten arrested and you were thrown in a prison somewhere and they just beat you to being unconscious and then you knew two days later you're going to get your head cut off? What would you be thinking in that jail cell? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? It'd be hard. I mean, no question about it. And Jesus is saying, I know that this time's coming when you're going to be saying, oh, come now. Take over the world now. Tradition says the apostle John was, was brought out to the island of Patmos and they had a whole big cauldron of hot tar and that they had dipped his body in the hot tar. Would not your prayer be, come now? Like, this is a good time to take over the world. And so you see, he knows this is what's going to happen. These guys are feeling this way. And he also knows that when you're feeling that way, when life is falling apart and when everything is bad and everything is horrible around you, you're susceptible to somebody saying, Jesus is over there. Because you want it to end. You don't like life. And I believe all of humanity is that way. When you get, when you get sucked into that sometimes, it's because the world is so bad, you want to just get out of it. He knows you're going to be susceptible. He knows we're going to be susceptible. So notice what happens. 23. He says, you're going to long for this. He says, and they will say to you, look there or, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So he's saying, you're going to have all these people around you saying, He's over there. He's coming here. He's coming this time. He's doing this. He's doing that. You know, and they're always pointing it out, and we have been inundated with it, right? Inundated people saying, he's coming here. This is when he's coming. This is this. This is that. I've worked it all out, and here's what it is. And Jesus says, don't follow it, especially if someone says he's already come. About 15 years ago, somebody handed me a book. It was called The Secret Rapture, and it was about the fact that the rapture had already happened. And I remember chuckling when I started reading the book, thinking, who would develop a theology where they were left behind? <laughs> right? I mean, some guy said, I think it already happened, and we all missed it. Hey. I'm like, hey, if you're going to create something, create something where you go. But anyways, but he was convinced that, that, that it had all been left. And, and Jesus said, stop it. Don't fiddle around with that stuff. Trust me. Just as there's lightning in the sky... No one is going to question what is happening. This won't be this moment of somebody coming, some prediction, and something happened here in Turkey, which created something here, and da 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 da. You'll know. You'll know. It will be light. I mean, the world is going to be lit up when I come back. So don't get sucked into it. But then he says this but first, guys, don't go down that road. Verse 25. First, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Remember the cross. 
This needs to happen first because, see, the coming of the kingdom is first coming so that it could actually invade your life, take over your heart, allow you to follow God, live for God. This needs to happen. This needs to happen first. But then when he comes back the second time, judgments come. Judgments come. Now what he's going to do is he's going to prepare the disciples and us for what it's going to be like when the Son of Man comes back. Here are the signs, if you want, if you want to say it that way. I don't want to say it that way, but, but, uh, but here, here's what he's saying. This is what the world's going to be like. There's two conditions that the world's going to be like. The first condition, he tells us, is that it's going to be man, that mankind will be self-absorbed. Look at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, he's just focusing on one specific aspect of Noah. So we're not supposed to take everything we know of the story of Noah and, and dump it onto this thing. He's just pointing out one thing. It took Noah, what, 120 years to build the ark? You know what was going on for the 120 years? People were just living their lives. Other than, you know, crazy Noah, they're building some big thing. We don't even know what it is because it's never rained, right? Imagine building a boat in the middle of a place where there's no water or rain. It just would be very strange, right? So he's just one of those crazy guys building something weird for 120 years. But let's go on with our life. He's saying people will just be living their life. Why? Because they're going to live for the moment. They're going to enjoy their money. They're going to enjoy their family. They're going to enjoy their time. Their whole focus is going to be on them and their life. And look at what he says. They're going to be getting married. They're going to be celebrating. They're going to be having big family outings and big family picnics. And they're going to enjoy their life and their money. And everything's just going to go on. And then it's just going to be like that. And then what happened on the day of Noah? Boom, the water came. And they weren't ready. Because they were just living their life. So that's the first condition. Second condition. Second condition, he says, is they're going to be living their life and, and the Son of Man's going to come. But when he comes, he's bringing judgment. It's first time he's bringing the kingdom that can bring change and salvation and life. The second time, he's bringing fire. Notice what he says. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Here's our second illustration. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling, right? They were living their life, going to work. Planting, building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. So he's saying, okay, same thing. People just living their life, going to work, doing their things, having fun, enjoying life. But when it comes, he's not coming with rain, just in a general sense. He's coming to judge. That's what he's saying. When he comes back the second time, he comes as judge. And his judgment's going to be heavy. Now, he gives this illustration. Notice, if you're on the housetop with your goods, don't come down and take them away. And you're out in the field, don't go back home. What's he getting at? It's very simple what he's getting at you ever flown on an airplane before, you get the instruction by the flight attendant, right? The flight attendant's explaining all of these things to you that's going to happen. And, and in the event of an emergency landing, they tell you, uh, if we have to land and we got to depart, don't take your stuff with you. 
Don't go in the overhead bin and grab your bag. Don't go, just get off the plane. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. Whenever I'm flying and I hear that news, I try to figure out how I would get my bag out. I Seriously, I do. I think, would that be wrong? Like, would they actually say, you can't get off the plane because you grabbed your briefcase? Like, she wouldn't stop me from getting off the plane, would she? I'm bigger than her. I could get through the hole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> silly things that I think about. I think, I want my briefcase. I got pictures of my kid in there, a granola bar. I got all kinds of things in there. And I want to take it with me. But we understand what would happen. If your plane is crashed and you got to get out quickly, you don't want people fitting around going, everybody see my briefcase? It's a black one. Right? You don't want that. You got to get off the plane. Don't grab your stuff. This is what he's saying. When the judgment's coming, man, if you love this world, and when, 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 when that lightning comes, he's saying, when, when the king comes, if you're saying, my stuff, that's bad. That's the lust in paradise. That's bad. If you love this world, and all of a sudden, when the Son of Man returns, the first thing you think of is how to protect your world. That's bad. Don't go there. You have to already say, I love Christ. And this stuff is temporary. But you see, the reality is this, and the reason why I talk about the, the plane thing is because even when the plane, if a plane was, I'd hate to be on a plane that's crashing, and, and if that were to happen, I'm sure I would just run off. But at the moment, I just start thinking, I have a computer in there, and I put my phone in there, and, I, and, and you know, I don't want to lose that stuff. Do you know how hard it is to lose all that stuff? Just that moment brings that out in me. And he's saying, listen, when the Son of Man comes, what you love will be seen. What you love will be seen. And then Jesus gives us, of course, we put the verses in here. Jesus wasn't writing, talking in verses. But, but verse 32, second shortest verse in the Bible. Bible trivia. First one is Jesus wept. Second one, right here, Luke 17, 32. And this is meant to kind of punch you in the nose to get the, make the point of call. Remember Lot's wife. So he's saying, when he comes, if your first thought is, but I love this world. He's saying, remember Lot's wife. When the judgment came down upon Sodom, God said, get out, man, I'm judging. Don't turn back, just run. And they're running. Her legs are running, but her heart is sitting back there, right? And so what does she do? She turns back. My stuff. Boom, turns to a pillar of salt. That's what's going to happen. What you love will come out when the Son of Man comes back. Remember Lot's wife. That should be our life verse. We should put that on t-shirts. Right? It should be bumper stickers. It should be everywhere. Remember Lot's wife. Do not love this world. And in fact, to make sure we get the point, Jesus gets to the point. He goes from the illustration right to the point. Look at verse 32. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. There is the way you are prepared for the return of Christ. 
It's not knowing the day or the date or the this or the that or the chart and having all that stuff up there. He's saying, listen, if you love this world, you're not ready. But if you love Christ, you're ready. You're ready. So when God says run out of Sodom, you're like, you're like Lot. I'm gone. I'm out of there. Take me home. But if we say, listen, how do I have Jesus and my life? I really love this world. Jesus says, be careful. And in fact, he wants to really unpack it for us. Notice verses 34 and 35. I tell you, in that, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. What's he saying? It's very simple. Simple point being made here. There's no family attachment. There's nothing. There's no way this is only between you and God. If your wife is saved and you're not, you're not riding on her coattails. This, this, this is whether or not in your heart you're saying, I want that kingdom of God in the midst of me. I don't want the kingdom of the world in my heart. I'm not trying to ask Jesus to sanctify it so I can have a better life here so I can love this world better. The purpose of the cross was not to cause me to love the world the purpose of the cross was to cause me to love Christ. To love Christ. And so, saying you'd be separated. Now, I gotta make a little point here. If you have a like a King James Bible and even an older NIV, you have a verse 36. If you have an ESV, you don't have a verse 36. You've been ripped off. <laughs> Take that back to Crossway if you got an ESV. Right? They they gypped you out a verse. I don't know what you, they charge per verse, whatever it is. You know, add up the amount of verses in your Bible, divide it by the cost of your Bible, and that's how much they owe you. No. What is, uh, why is verse 36 in some translations and not in others? I don't want to make this very complicated because I can, but I won't. I try not to. But when you're translating the Bible, right, if you have a, a Greek manuscript and you're trying to take something that was written in, let's say, uh, 45 A.D., and now you're trying to, in, in, in Israel, and written in Koine Greek, and now you are at 200 A.D., and you're in Iran. Not all those languages and terms are going to translate over, right? I can say to you guys, hey, just hang in there. But that, that, that phrase doesn't translate in every culture, so I would need to say, what hang in there means is, and I would use some illustration from your culture. So sometimes we notice in Bible translations, as things moved out to the world, verses were added to explain things because that concept didn't translate over correctly. Right? Hang in there doesn't work in every culture. So if, if I wrote hang in there and you went to another culture, you'd have to say what hang in there means is and you would add that in. So... Two women grinding didn't translate. So what was added to explain it was two men in the field. And so if you have a verse 36, it reads, two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. It's kind of what we're getting at. It's going to be two people out working. But if you want to be exact, the Greek did not, the language, the earlier manuscripts did not include that statement about the two men in the field. 
was added, got picked up in translations, and then some of the translations that are trying to be a little closer to the, to the original pulled it out. Does that all make sense? If you've got a question, you can ask me, but it's basically what happened. The point is this. Sometimes when those things are added or taken out, it doesn't change the meaning because people are just trying to explain things. Just helping you understand it. But here's what Jesus is saying. Very simple. On that day, the true followers will be with him, and those that love this world will be destroyed. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No one's getting in on anyone's coattails. Children, you're not getting in on your parents' coattails. Parents, your kids aren't getting in on your coattails. If we love Christ, that's the news. That's why we want to raise up generations of people who love Christ, not this world. That's why we want to raise up a generation of people who say, I want to love Christ and be involved with what he's doing because that's how you're ready is what he's saying. So, Jesus lays this out, man. Judgment's coming, guys. Be ready. Don't love this world. Remember Lot's wife. So the disciples ask, let's just wrap this up. Disciples ask a simple question. Where? That's a great question, right? Judgment's coming. Where is it coming? I mean, if it's just happening in the Gentile world, we're staying in Jerusalem, right? If it's just happening to those Gentiles out there and not us, that's great. So Jesus answers in a good Jesus way, right? Where the corpse is, there the vultures will be, will, will gather, when I first read that in study, and I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus, that's a good Jesus answer. It's going to make me think about it, you know? <laughs> so what does he mean? It's, it's really simple. If you see vultures in a sky, out in the sky somewhere, what's down on the ground? Something about to die. And it doesn't really matter. Anywhere there's death, there's a vulture. So if that's the point... What's the answer? Where's it happening? Anywhere there's death. What's the death he's talking about? It's pretty clear. If you love this world, that's where the judgment will fall. The issue is if the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, it's right there within you, then what is within you is what matters most. And that's the simple point. What is within you? So two questions to close. First question is this. What are you looking for in life? What do you look for? Are you looking maybe for some political revolution? Are you looking for your life on earth to get better? Are you you're looking for something other than Christ? You're not ready. Second question. What are you living for? I'm not asking whether or not you believe in Jesus. I'm asking what do you live for? What consumes your life? I think the point of this is Jesus is saying the kingdom has come. It's there. Love me. Love me. Love me. And if you do, No matter what happens, you will always be ready. So let's just pray now for that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his life. I thank you for saving me not only from my sin, but but you delivered me from the domain of darkness to bring me into Jesus who's everything. 
God, I, I'm just grateful for the privilege we have to not only love him and be in him, but to, to make him known. The whole point of all that, that we're trying to focus on here, God, is that we would make Jesus known, that, that people who are in the domain of darkness can be set free. But Lord, there's a challenge in this passage asking us to assess our hearts. God, may we remember Lot's wife. May those, that, 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 that statement drill into our brains. May, may it govern the way we make decisions. May it govern the way we raise our children. May it govern the way that, 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 that we make financial decisions and, and all that happens. God, may we focus on loving Christ. He's brought this kingdom, and when he comes back, he said he's going to come take us home. He's going to establish his reign. And Lord, for those in this room that love this world more than Jesus, may your spirit convict them now. May they see not only the folly of that in this life, but the folly of it in the next. God, thank you for the hope that is in Jesus and for his life and his joy and his peace. May that reign in our lives now. Christ's name. Amen.